So much of our experience is unconscious, the past informing the way we perceive, express, relate and create. Our task is to illuminate all the ways the past has decontextualized into the present, set a compassionate boundary and discover a new way forward. Peace and power is the goal. Welcome to Decontextualized. I'm Natalia Rachel. Today's episode is called The Vulnerability of Victory. I'll be speaking with Camilo Andrade from Nike. He's the Vice President of Brand Marketing for Asia Pacific Latin America. Before we begin, let's take a moment to settle into our intention for our time together. To listen, to respond, to explore beyond what we think we know. Take a nice breath in and as you exhale, let go of bias, let go of judgment, let go of agenda or any fixed outcome. Welcome your curious mind and your receptive heart. And from here, let's meet today's incredible guest, Camilo. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Natalia. I really appreciate the invitation. It's such a pleasure. Let's jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are as a VP, as a father, and as a man? For sure. It's a great place to start. So who I am. So I am the son of two amazing individuals, Diego and Luisa, proudly Colombian. I was born and raised in Bogota, in Colombia. I am also the older brother of my sister, Tatiana. And honestly, I have to say I have a beautiful family. And that's a very important part of who I am. So that's why I started there. I sincerely believe that who I am has a lot to do with the values that my family instilled in me. And, and I am thankful for that to my, my mom and my dad every day. I told them that I had the privilege of choosing the best of what they could offer and try to be a better version of themselves, but more than anything, just to honor everything that they've given me because it's been opportunities. So I am an adventurous spirit. I love to explore. And more than anything, I think I've found my purpose in, in a way of retributing others for the opportunities myself. I've received. So uh, I think that's important to me um, because I left my country 21 years. I left trying to seek for, in a way, professional growth. And I think I ended up getting way more than that. I ended up getting personal growth and I ended up getting relationships, friendships, experiences, both good and bad, failure, learnings. But what was supposed to be six months of initially an internship turned out to be 21 years of the life of a nomad that has loved every inch, every day, every second of it. So I would say that that's a good start for who I am. I am a human individual. I love relationships. I am who I am thanks to my parents. And I think I found my purpose probably in the last years and just learning how to pave it forward for others that like me at the beginning didn't know how to be authentic or how to, in a way, be seen or being valued for what they had to offer. Thank you for such a beautiful introduction. You know, you're the first person who I've interviewed who's shared a little bit about 
the country they come from and their parents and their experienced family. And I, I agree that it's so important to understand how those early experiences can shape us, you know, in, in all kinds of ways and how beautiful that you've had such a nourishing start. I can tell it's a big part of why, to me, you're one of the most grateful individuals I've ever met, which is very beautiful. <laughs> we connected via LinkedIn. And our, I think the way we connected in our first conversation was quite magical. So I wondered if for our listeners, you'd be able to share a little bit about it from your perspective, just to give a little bit of context for our dynamic. A thousand percent, Natalia. It's actually one of the most exciting and emotional stories, I would say, because it also unpacks who I am. So last year, exactly almost a year ago, I am normally a healthy person. I love sports. As a former athlete, I sincerely appreciate how sports give you structure, discipline, relationships, a lot of the basis for life. So I've kept sport in my life and it's very important to me. It helps me as a way to, in a way, release adrenaline, but also in a way to meditate, in a way to, to find sort of counterbalance. As a healthy person, I've had my fair share of surgeries and broken bones. And I believe that scars are the trophies of the bodies. But last year, before I was getting ready to become a, a dad for the first time, uh, I was really excited and looking forward to that. And with my wife at home with almost 40 weeks, she was 39 weeks and a half pregnant. I one day woke up with a swollen arm, no pain whatsoever, nothing. It was weird, but I didn't pay too much attention. Told my wife about it and she goes, that's weird. We thought it was probably an allergy. And that night I went to bed and I thought, okay, this is going to get better. And during that night, I had a nightmare and I thought, and during the nightmare, basically I was with doctors and they told me I should have gone to the hospital. And I took that as a sign. I believe in signs. So next morning I told my wife, I should go and check this out. And long story short, I ended up in the ICU with what was a severe thrombosis. I had more than a hundred blood clots from my neck to my arm and basically just wondering what was going to happen with my wife at home of my first child, I started asking myself the most fundamental questions that you never think you're gonna ask yourself. Am I gonna meet my son? Am I gonna make it through this? And am I leaving behind the legacy I wanna leave? And how's my wife gonna raise this son by herself? All those questions, but I'm always a positive person. And I thought, okay, it's gonna be okay. I'm in great hands. And after three surgeries to temporarily solve the problem, I made it home. I remember in the hospital calling the doula that we hired and said, you're probably going to take my wife through this on her own. And she told me, Camilo, babies are very wise. If they don't feel safe, he's going to wait for you. And so he did. I went through three surgeries. I came home and the day that I came home, my wife went into labor and Thomas was born that night. He was born and we were the happiest parents. And after going through that first, let's say 15 days of what I thought was a minor thing, it was actually the beginning of a very long journey because with my wife at home and my son in her arms, then we continued to try to find out the root cause of my problem until we did. And we realized that it was bigger than a thrombosis, that I was actually, I had a congenital issue that as a very rare condition called thoracic outlet syndrome. And I ended up spending almost four months in the hospital. And what started with three surgeries to remove blood clots ended up becoming a life-threatening pursuit of solving a bigger issue. So without getting into the details of the surgeries, after six surgeries and spending a lot of time in the hospital, 
I really started to really think about the biggest, most philosophical and fundamental questions in life. And in those moments after some of those surgeries, I was in need of inspiration. And that's when through reading and just trying to have moments of, let's say, relaxation, I found you. I found your story. I found how you have used trauma to actually teach yourself first and foremost how to overcome it and how to teach others to accept it, embrace it, and more importantly, to have the tools to actually navigate life's traumas. And I thought that was really timely and purposeful somehow that destiny in a way landed me on your feet and in a moment where I was going through trauma and I was going through fear I was going through anxiety that I needed to think about it and how could I overcome this so I could be a dad to Thomas I could be a husband to my wife fair and I could be a brother and a son so that's how I came to you and I took a leap of faith I've always believed that Whoever doesn't take a risk will benefit from the reward of taking that risk. And I took a leap of faith. I took the risk of writing to you. I thought you were already a successful writer, and or at least in my mind. But I, I, I was really impressed with your story and your ability to inspire, to motivate, guide. And I reached out to you. And to my surprise, you responded and you engaged. And what it started as a conversation in a social platform or a professional platform turned into be some of the most inspiring conversations that I've had. And then I'm going to claim it, Natalia, but I think that we've started what I believe is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, one where we're both committed to each other and we are sharing stories and that conversation led to meeting you in person in Singapore and also now being here. So that's how we got to know each other. And I'm grateful because you've given me tools to navigate tough moments, but you've also given me inspiration and guidance and perspective so I can look at things differently. And by the way, perspective that I'm trying not to lose is the one thing that I'm trying is all the things I've learned last year, not to lose them because I guess that's probably the bad part of being humans. We have short memory sometimes. So that's the story. It's such a beautiful story. I'm beaming and my heart is expanding listening to you. I truly believe sometimes people are brought together by the universe or just when it's meant to happen. And I've so enjoyed meeting you and learning your story and yeah, developing our friendship. Thank you for claiming our friendship. I will claim it as well. How beautiful is that? Such a intention and yes. purpose. Gorgeous. I mean, oh my goodness, what a very, very scary thing to go through right when you're about to become a father and from my history working with trauma I understand it is often in a lead up or post-birth that past traumas can surface and so we've talked a little bit about this but for the listeners I'll share I believe we put so much unconscious energy towards protecting ourselves and compartmentalizing things and, and making it work and doing life and the moment we know there's going to be this other human that we need to protect and nurture. I believe a lot of our unconscious energy transfers and goes to this human as is natural and as it should. But if there's unhealed trauma inside us, sometimes it can leave it kind of open and flailing around. And often that can be the emergence of some pretty intense symptoms. Does that concept resonate for you? I definitely think it resonates, Natalia. Before I would say, I think it was a great theory or thought. I sincerely believe that today. And I don't know, I cannot claim it medically. I cannot say whether it happened or not, because there was a definitely a congenital issue. But I definitely think that when I look back and with hindsight, I think about the past 
two years before that, I was not in a good space, neither mentally or let's say physically. We went through with my wife through a very long process to start our family. And that comes with beautiful moments, but also very stressful moments. And it comes with sad moments and happy moments. So it's a roller coaster of emotion. And that in a context where we are both foreigners living in, in a different country, far away from our families and with no necessarily no structure support system, I'm going to call it. Of course, we have friends here and there, but it's friends that you either meet contextually or, or things like that. But it's tough. So, so I think that definitely played a part. And then, of course, the stress of a very dynamic work environment. And I'm not just going to say it because of the brand or company I work with, but more than anything, because of the last three years in which we operated, which were dynamic for every one of us in the world, right? Going through a pandemic and the disruption around that, going through all the social unrest that we've seen around the world, and especially in America, where I live now, our company went through a massive, let's say, a reorganization, which put stress into the situation. So I think all those parts started to, to, in a way, compile and create a situation that was not ideal. So when I went through this, whether all those situations caused it or not, what I do know is that at that moment where I had the situation, I was at my lowest and I didn't realize it until I was in it. And I actually saw the beauty of it. I think whether it's God or destiny, it put me in that hospital bed in that moment, isolated from everyone and from everything, because this was still during COVID. So I was in the ICU by myself without any kind of support. My wife at home, first pregnant, and then with our son. And there was nothing I could do about it more than just reflect, think, slow down, take a breath. Think about how I got there and how I needed to come out of that a different man. And I have to say, I embraced it. At the moment, of course, it felt tough. I had days of tears, days of smiles, mostly days of tears, I have to say. But I needed, I needed to cry. I needed to let it all out. I needed to just embrace the fact that I was there on my own. And that's why I was seeking for inspiration. And my wife was at home, so there was nothing I could do about it. So I took it a little bit upon myself to find the answers, to ask the questions and to feel the feelings that I was feeling. Sadness, loneliness, fear. I did a lot of work that had to be done. Example, I had to do state planning. I had to prepare for the worst. Now that I was a dad, I had six surgeries Two of them were life-threatening and the risk was major. They've never performed it, performed it at the hospital I was in. So in, I think, a month's time, in record time, I did my estate planning with a firm of lawyers that they helped me. But my whole process was, if I do this, I'm going to find the peace of mind to move forward because I know I've prepared the ground for my wife and my son. So yeah, that's a little bit long answer to say, yes, I believe that that thought is definitely valuable. I think sometimes we ignore ourselves for so long, the calls of the body and the whispers of the spirit, that at some point our body's just going to start screaming or something's going to come along and create like a forced boundary to make us connect to 
what we need to heal. And so, you know, you described it as, you know, like a rock bottom. I think it's a really common experience for those of us that have gone through trauma and are kind of living in survival mode that we will be forced towards this rock bottom point. And to me, it gives a new meaning to the word vulnerability, which is such a popular word these days, because when you're there, you're totally raw and vulnerable and in some ways helpless. And you have to let go of all the coping and survival mechanisms and look at yourself and look at your life and figure out a new way to be here. I'm so happy that you were able to embrace it. When you're saying that, I think, wow, I wish I could have embraced it a little better. (laughs) I fought it for a really long time and I couldn't go with it until there was literally zero, zero in the tank. So my question to you is, what innate quality do you think you had inside you that allowed you to trust and to just embrace the experience of this kind of health breakdown? Well, that's such a great question, Natalia. And I don't even know if I have the answer because I don't think it's about me having an innate capability or skill, but I do have one thing. It's probably, I think, perspective and experience. I've been in situations not similar because I for sure can say that this is the scariest and the toughest thing that I've gone through. But I've gone through situations as an athlete and let's say as a as an adrenaline junkie where I've been in situations where I, I've hurt myself and I'm in survival mode. And I think your your adrenaline kicks in and you need to realize that you're in it. And so there's no point of whether being the victim or just being sad or pessimistic about it, you're going to get through it. And the only way through it is through it. So because of that experience in the past, I guess I just found myself thinking, okay, this is just another challenge and another situation that I have to overcome. So in my mind, there was no other option just than I will get through this. My son needs me and this is not my time. That's it. I do need to prepare. And that's why I did the hard part. You know, the easy part where being like, everything's going to be fine and I'm not going to do anything about it. I said, I will get through this. I know this is not my time, but I need to be prepared in case it is. And I guess that was it. So I do think that maybe to your question, there's another part of the answer, which is maybe the survival instinct that your adrenaline kicks in and you know that you have to make it true. There's a new side of you that you've never seen that kicks in. It sounds like you're telling me you're so used to survival that you trust it and that you trust that you move to the other side, that it's not a finite or life-ending experience. You know, I'm thinking of our nervous system now and we all do have this little piece of extra reserve. It's called surge capacity. So when we get to the point where we think we're going to perish or we can't go anymore and it's over, we do have this little innate piece of energy or resource that will just kick in. And I think most of us don't believe that it's there. So for me, in my time, you know, in a a different but similar situation where I was in hospital and wondering if I'm going to die and what's going to happen to my kids, I didn't know about that because I didn't have this history with adrenaline and sports and danger. I'd had to wrap myself up in cotton wool (laughs) for 11 years being sick. So what a beautiful thing to be able to help others to understand and believe is that no matter what happens, there is this little reserve that is going to kick in. You can't access it on purpose. It's unconscious and it's just waiting to protect you. And I think for me and many that I work with, knowing that provides this level of trust, which is what I think you had to move through it and to not freeze or petrify, which is what happened to me. You are spot on. And I think we do have the moments, right? I'm not going to say that there were moments where I didn't feel scared or 
didn't feel like I didn't have the answers, but just knowing and trusting that in your body, in your mind, you will have that extra energy and that extra survival mode that is going to get you out of it. And probably what I would maybe advise others and call this self-awareness or being very aware of yourself, when you feel it kick in, make the most out of it. Because sometimes is you feel that, okay, no, you feel these little moments of transition from negativity into positivity or pessimistic to, no, 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 I'm not going to die. Because we all have them, right? We all have that moment of fear where we say, oh my God, this is it, I'm going to die. And then five minutes later or one hour later or one day later of sitting in your hospital bed, it kicks in and it says like, no, it's not your time. This cannot be it. That pivotal moment, you need to make the most out of it. And I think when you're in that positive wave, use it and fuel it because then you can fuel that positive thinking and that creates positive momentum. And then all of a sudden you start to find answers. That at least happens to me is I have this peaks and let's say valleys of negative, positive. I think it's as humans, sometimes we fuel the negatives and we don't know how to fuel the positive. So all that to say you're spot on. I think that trusting that as a human, you will have that survival mode that will kick in. Just know yourself enough that when you feel that something changed, make the most out of it. Beautiful. I also hear the importance of catching or harnessing the impulse, the momentum of your life force and to channel it, which again is I think that something that most people don't know how to. And I think that takes a lot of work. For me, I learned a lot about that through exploring the world of energy. But I think most of us are so far from intentional with our life force, our energy, our will. And for me, going through a similar experience, it changed my relationship to my aliveness. Would you say that coming out the other side, it's made you rethink how you're living? Yes, for sure. And call it perspective or call it experience. It's funny because I, I thought about it, Natalia. And you know, a lot of people that go through trauma or traumatic events, they always talk about, oh my God, I gained so much perspective in that moment, but then they lose it. You could frame it differently and just say, yes, I think you just went through a traumatic experience and you came out of it different. I think what's important is that as human beings, we don't go back to our old habits and we just forget it. It would be a disservice to the experience you went through. So I definitely believe I've learned through it. And I learn about myself. I learn about others. I learn about trauma and navigating it. Yeah, for sure. Am I better because of it? I don't know. I try to I think as humans, we're always in the pursuit of better, but are we better every day? I don't know. I think it's my at least goal in life to try to leave it better and to try to leave it better now for my son and my wife. And I think that was a good moment to remind myself, have I done enough? And then that's when it kicked in. It's like, at least no, I need to make it better so that if I'm not here, that they can have the reassurance that I left everything organized for them. And sometimes it's as simple as things like that. It's superficial things, but then, then you start to dig deeper and it's really about more important things like values and things like that. But yeah, I think it definitely teaches you that moment. So we've been talking about a very recent medical trauma with your health. I wonder if you'd experienced trauma earlier in your life. I mean, you're originally from Colombia. So I wonder, was there any trauma growing up there? And does it feel safe to share a little bit about that? Wow, that's a beautiful question. And I would say the short answer is yes. I think we've all experienced trauma in our lives. I think it's just how much attention we're paying to it. 
I could say yes, and I can share some, some indirect, some direct, and I'll start with the indirect. I was born in Colombia, a beautiful country that I'm proud of and that I love. And I try to go as often as possible because I love the culture, the people, and it's made me who I am. But I grew, unfortunately, in the tough years of Colombia. It was the narco years and where, you know, terrorism was the daily bread. And it was a country at war in every sense, right? And when you grow up in a country like that, in a way, you understand way faster how fragile life is because death is surrounding you every day. And at the time, sadly, you don't realize it's trauma. You don't realize what it is. You just think, oh, it's death. And because it's so common, it becomes common, which is sad. It's really sad to say it. But as you grow up, that creates a certain kind of understanding of life of differences, of all the things, of the value of the human life that others might not know. So I do think that that creates both one, a sense of understanding, also a sense of learning how to live life at its fullest. My parents were at least the kind of parents that they taught me how to live, make the most out of every day, because we don't know what we're going to get tomorrow which was beautiful. But in a way, you also live afraid and you have fears about a lot of things. And I do think, as, as I think going back, it creates certain kind of one resilience, but at the same time, some sort of awareness. I just think it definitely creates some sort of resentment towards a couple of, of, of things in life. And I think I haven't yet understood the impact of those, but I went through that and call it a trauma, an experience, context for who I am. It is part of my upbringing and it was tough. I saw close friends being kidnapped and being in captivity for three years and a half. Yeah, that was tough. Being part of that reality, it's something that definitely changes you forever. So that's one for me. And the other one, which is probably more direct. I call the first one indirect. The, the other more direct. I hate to say it, but as much as I'm proud of my country, because of that context, I've, after 21 years of living in multiple countries, the one thing that I've experienced is the challenge of being accepted, right? Because all they saw when I moved into Brazil or Italy or Portugal, all immigration saw was a brown passport with the name Colombia on its cover. They didn't care about my experience or what I could offer. All they saw was the stereotype of a country at war that was not welcome. And therefore, I had to basically just endure that. I was kicked out of countries just because those countries didn't have a treaty to accept Colombians or to sponsor visas for Colombians. So I've struggled with visas. I struggle with work permits, which then meant that it didn't matter how much I tried. It didn't matter how good I was at my work. I was always going to be discriminated and not that I was, but discriminated by the system just because I was Colombian. And that definitely created a trauma because I was frustrated. I can tell you till today, even I'm still struggling with visa and with work permits. So it's been 21 years of enduring that. And I've had years where I've been more successful. I've had periods of my time where I've managed to find temporary solves. They've all been temporary. And today with hindsight, I've become more resilient to it. I'm still a positive person and I always think that things will sort out, but I have to work towards making them being sorted. They don't get sorted out just by themselves. You have to go at it. So that's definitely created a trauma, but I've taken the good of it, which is someone somewhere needs to engage and they need to care 
in order to create systemic change. Otherwise, you'll just keep perpetuating the same issue and the same issue and people will continue to be treated the same just because no one cares to understand. So I've taken it up on myself. It's part of my purpose is to see others and to make others understand. It's not their fault. Sometimes people grow up in contexts where that's not your reality. So it's not your fault not to understand, but it's my job to help others understand it but especially to see those that are not being seen because I sincerely believe that there's nothing more valuable in life than to look someone in the eyes and to tell them, I believe in you, no matter where you are from, no matter how hard it is. And that's the reason why I'm here because there was one person that when everyone else saw an immigration problem, he saw potential and he fought the system. He went against the system and he helped me. And that person has become really important in my life because I had nothing to offer more than my grit, my hunger, my appetite for life. And he saw that in my eyes, not because I was very articulate or could put it in words. I think he saw the fire in my eyes and he believed it. So hopefully that's two good examples of trauma earlier in my life. And then later in my life, how that indirect trauma created a direct experience that for sure created trauma moments in my life. But now it's made me who I am as well. I think it's beautiful to hear both the resilience and the power of overcoming and continuing that you share in your story, but also really important that you're honoring that frustration or resentment. Those are two words you used that do arise, particularly when it's as if we are being punished for other people's expression in the world. And I think this theme is a really big one in our world today, where we continue to bring our past trauma and our past bias through the way we perceive and express and relate. And then we block people from being their unique, beautiful selves or evolving and creating change. So if we continue to see through the lens of the past, we're kind of just going to recreate the same again and again. And I love that you've made it part of your mission to change that. It's such a complex topic, isn't it? It's so hard for us to create the change. I also love what you said about making a point to see people. So I think for those living either in a disempowered or oppressive system or with unresolved trauma, it's the not being seen that is the most excruciating part and that perpetuates this cycle of crap. I want to use a different word, but crap will do. And I think that the healing comes in relationship, which is another thing you've been talking about so much during this conversation, where we do feel seen and heard and welcome and supported. And if we can all show up and offer that to each other in small ways every day, gosh, I think this world would look very different. I a million percent agree. The human relationships are at the center of everything. It's where we will find the solutions to all our problems. I love that you're consciously bringing through these sentiments through your career. So you've had a pretty mind-blowing career, traveling through so many companies, working for some of the biggest, most exciting organizations, and now a VP at Nike. What has driven you to create this? And aside from this visa issue, what have been the biggest challenges to get to where you are now? Well, well, first of all, thank you, Natalia. It's, it's an honor and it's very humbling to hear that from you. And I can say that, you know, life is the best teacher. Because if you would have asked me this, I don't know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have known how to answer this question. I definitely believe that what drove me for since the beginning was 
making my family proud. And I go back to the previous question and trauma because I experienced that kind of discrimination or exclusion more than discrimination, let's call it. I felt this need to prove everyone that Colombians were good people. And I wanted to be part of the change through example. I wanted to make sure that others saw what we had to offer. And I also wanted to make my family proud. I wanted them to know that all the, the efforts, all the sacrifices they've made in order to give me and my sister opportunities that they were not in vain. And that's something that from the beginning I knew. So that was driving me at the beginning. The more I over, the more I faced obstacles like hey, being kicked out of a country or wanting work for a company so badly, being good at it, being told that, and then being told, hey, you know what? We love you, but we have to let you go because we cannot get you a visa. That became even more important as my fuel. And it drove me even more. The more they told me it's impossible, the more I thought, no, it is possible because the reason why you're telling me it's impossible, it's nonsense. We're talking about a stereotype and the fact that we cannot change it just because someone doesn't believe because yes, it's harder, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible. So that drove me like crazy, Natalia. And then what drove me even more is as I got that one person that believed in me for so many years, what drove me is I didn't want to make sure that all the sacrifices that person that believed in me and saw that potential, I needed to honor that kind of belief and I needed to pay it forward. So for me, then what's become now my driving force is this idea of retribution and paying it forward. Never in my wildest dreams, Natalia, I thought I was going to be in any of the jobs I've been, any, even as an intern in my first job in Brazil or Italy, because even that was mind-blowing for a Colombian kid that grew up in a closed-in economy and country. So even being an intern in Milan, in Pirelli, was mind-blowing to me. So ever since I've thought about all that, and I think for me now, every job, that's why I don't care that much about the job. I care more about the experience around the job and what I actually can make out of it. So for me, it's all about one, continue to honor and continue to feel that drive to make my family proud, to leave my family last name in a good place so that they can all say all the sacrifices, all the values, everything that we thought Camilo, he made the most out of. Second, to be a force of change, whether it's for Colombians or Latinos or people that are never being seen or that they felt defeated by the system, not even a person, but the system. And three, to pay it forward, to make sure that everything I do, like my parents, is not in vain and it can at least make one person's life better because I see them, because I believe in them, and because I was invested in making sure that the hard work that it takes to believe in someone, I'm doing it because I'm choosing to do it. And then I would maybe flip it and you said challenges. It's hard. If it would be easy, everyone would be doing it. So it's a choice. It's a choice of what you prioritize. And I would say what's been the toughest challenge because I've had very important job, very big job, more than important big jobs. It's finding balance. And I've realized with life, and this is something that I probably realized last year with all the issues I went through is that balance is probably this utopic thing that we all search in life. And it's probably created by someone that didn't, either he found it or she found the formula or they know the truth, which is that doesn't exist. And so I've realized that balance is really hard to find because life on itself is fluid and it changes. And one day you have a good day here, but not so great here. 
So I've started now to pursue this idea of counterbalance and, and it's helped me a lot because basically it's all about understanding that life is imperfect and that it's hard to find perfection. And I'm a very perfectionist person. So this coming from a person that has fought this idea is I want to be perfect and I want the perfect life and the perfect wife and the perfect son and the perfect job and the perfect family. It's impossible. So what I've found is trying to find counterbalance. And this is basically what are those things in life that matter so much that no matter how bad your day, your month or your year has been, if you add those little things in your life, it's going to counterbalance the fact that you had a terrible year or a terrible day. For me, that is every day I call my mom on my way to work and on my way back to work. And no matter what happens during the day, that call with my mom, whether it's five minutes or 30 minutes, it counterbalanced my day. Going for a run, water skiing. Now that I have a son, just being with Thomas 10 minutes a day, even if it's just 10 minutes to give him his baby bottle and put him to sleep, it counterbalances my experience across the day. What a beautiful philosophy to live by. It's as if you're telling me that we can embrace the imperfection, the messiness and the non-linear or consistent nature of life by ensuring we have some key resources that we can return to again and again. And to me, that is healing. So to be able to, with intention, seek resource and embrace and be with what is, even though it's not pretty, that is healing in daily life. You know, you said when you were talking about everything that you've been through, there's a huge drive to help others and to let your family and your people from your past know that, look, I'm doing it. I'm making more for myself. But I want to ask, sitting now where you are in Portland, USA, as a VP of Nike, the biggest brand in the world, if you were to speak to the little boy in Colombia who was living through really difficult circumstances and perhaps thought he would never even go beyond the borders of that country, what would you tell him? Wow, that's a beautiful question. I know what I would tell him, and this is again based on who I am. I, I just briefly said I'm a perfectionist. As a kid, I was a perfectionist in an imperfect world, right? And maybe that's why, you know, I saw this world that was imperfect and I wanted to have everything perfect, at least the things that I could control. I would tell him to enjoy more, to play more. And this idea of counterbalance, right? To find that counterbalance. And I'll give you an example. As a kid, I, I spent more time organizing my toys than playing with them, right? Because I was obsessed with having them perfectly clean and perfectly organized, but I spent more time organizing them than using them. So that's probably a one example. I wanted them to be perfect, but I wasn't embracing the part of the chaos that you talk about. Now, 41 years later, I understand it. I understand that part of the fun, it's the mess, it's the chaos. But then as a person, it's, it's up to you to then fix it which is the counterbalance. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoy today playing with my toys and whatever that is, right. Whether it's tools or making a mess, but then fixing, it, organizing. I have found a way to find as much joy in the mess as I find in the fixing of the mess, which is really important. And I'll share one example with you talking to my therapist as I was going through everything I was going through last year, she told me, what do you do? And I said, Hey, I spent two hours in the roof, sweeping the roof because there was a lot of pine needles. And she told me, and why would you do that? It's like, well, because if I don't do it, then I have to hire someone to do it. But also because when I'm doing it, I'm in the roof and I have this beautiful view from a perspective that no one else has because I'm high above and I'm, I'm seeing everything. 
And it's just me and my thoughts and this therapeutic feeling of just sweeping and just focus on the motion, which is a repetitive motion. And she told me, Camilo, you know what? That's your meditation. And I was like, oh, I never thought about it. Now I actually can tell my wife, you know what? I need my meditation time because she always asked me like, why do you have to sweep the roof right now? No one cares about the roof. It's like, no, we have to care because it helps our gutters and our gutters protect our house and so on and so on. But now I tell her I'm going meditating. But all that to say... I would tell the kid from Colombia to one, embrace the chaos as much as you embrace the perfection of organization. Second, to enjoy every moment and to make the most out of it. I think I enjoyed every moment as a kid, but I think I would just reinforce that. And three, that things will always find a way. I would use... I used to get worried all the time and I used to make a drama in my head about every little thing. I still do a little, but I get so stressed about some things when they're not perfect. So I would tell that kid, hey, things will find a way of sorting out, but just do the work, do the hard work. And if you do it, things will find a way. And I think my 21 years of moving through country to country, culture through culture, company through company, and doing it for the right reasons, because the sacrifice of being far away from family is not easy. Someone once told me, Camilo, you're so lucky. You've lived in every country, worked for every company. And I have to say, with all due respect, it's not luck. I've sacrificed a lot. And only me, I know what I've sacrificed. I've made my own luck. And I do believe that in life, you, your choices make you who you are. And I leave you with this thought, which is something that I really believe and I live by. I think society and sometimes our parents and they teach us, you need to make the right decision. And whether it's choosing the right career, choosing the right girl or boy to marry, and then choosing the right company, choosing the right house, choosing the right car, the right loan rate. I think in life, what I've realized, especially the big decisions, it's not so much about making the right decision, it's about making the decision right for you. And it's like marriage. I don't believe that there's the perfect half in a couple or in a marriage. I think you choose the person that fulfills you the most, that is the closest one to your values, the one that is aligned to that. And then you get to work. As I've told my wife, it's not about not fighting, it's about getting through the fights. Milo, you're so inspiring. It's as if your existence is a beautiful victory. And I hope that that little boy in Colombia can hear and receive that. I feel like we could talk for another hour, but I want to be respectful of your time and thank you for your vulnerability and for the incredible wisdom that you've shared with me and our listeners. I guess we can close it off while ask one final question that if there's one message you wish to share with others on their journey of victory and vulnerability what would it be natalia first thank you you made me emotional and just with those kind words i don't take them slightly you're very kind and i am humble and honored to be here and to hear your feedback if i could leave the, the listeners with one thought maybe is trust that you're unique in this world right god the universe whatever you create you believe in we are all different unique and distinct and we all have a purpose in life and it's unique to all of us so honor that purpose by being yourself i think that life is too short it's long but it's short at the same time it's too short to just spend it trying to pretend being someone else or trying to copycat someone else just because at some contextual moment they might be better there's always someone that is going to be better than us in one thing or another but they're not us and we're not them we need to be ourselves. And I've learned that 
through life, there's been plenty of moments where I've doubted myself and I try to be someone else. I tried to be, as I was a water skier, I tried to water ski like someone else. I was trying to copy something. And as a professional, I tried to present more like someone or speak more like someone. And I realized that that only leads to frustration, to lack of confidence and to sadness. So I guess be yourself, trust that you have a purpose in this life. And by being unique, you're going to honor that purpose. And last but not least, believe in yourself, believe in that uniqueness, but also believe in others because like you, they also have a purpose. Beautiful. Just do you. Thank you so much, Camilo, for your time, your energy, your presence and your wisdom. I'm really grateful. Thank you, Natalia. I sincerely appreciate you. And I hope that others like me find tremendous inspiration and guidance in whether it's these conversations or your book or your learnings, because they are needed in this world. So huge appreciation for you for inviting me to this amazing forum. And I look forward to the next one. Thank you for your time, your presence and your receptivity. The better we understand how we have decontextualized the more we can begin to co-create a kinder and more intelligent world. If this episode stirred you, please like it, leave a comment or share it. To learn more about my work, visit nataliarachel.com or connect with me via LinkedIn, Instagram or YouTube. For now, leaving you with intentions for healing and collaborative, innovative regeneration. <laughs>